There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. engine light on take the guesswork out of your check engine light with o'reilly veriscan it's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASC certified master technicians and if you need help we can recommend a shop for you ask for o'reilly veriscan today oh, 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 O'Reilly. auto parts Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 370. And today in the show, we are discussing the trials and tribulations of public land deer hunting. Some things not to do, some things to do and some lessons learned from our Idaho public land whitetail hunt. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today on the show, we are talking public land deer hunting. We're talking about the trials and tribulations of public land deer hunting. And to discuss that, to discuss some of the challenges of those types of hunts, we're going to use the story of the recent hunt that Josh Furter Hilliard and I have been on and are still on to a degree as we speak. Um, I want to talk through some things like dealing with hunting pressure, dealing with the random adversity that comes along with traveling to hunt and hunting new places. I want to talk about the challenges of hunting new ground. Uh, I want to talk about Things like how to set proper standards and goals for public land hunts, all that kind of stuff is, has been on my mind over the last week or so. And I'm sure it will be on my mind again on future public land hunts. And, you know, there's, there's something you can learn from every trip. And this trip has had a lot of learning experiences, I think. So we're going to talk about our DIY public land Idaho whitetail hunt. But I also think, you know, we'll be able to throw back to some of the other trips I've been on and that Josh has been on over the past years. We've been, I don't know, just in the past few years, we've hunted some public land in North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, uh, Michigan, um, Nebraska. So there's a few other places. There's something else I'm missing from a recent hunt. But uh, but yeah, we've got some different experiences we can pull from here. Um, but let's start just with the story of this trip, and we'll kind of take it from there. We'll run through some of these key learnings. We'll run through some lessons. We'll run through some challenges, um, and we'll tell the story. And the story picks back up where we left off last week. For those who didn't listen to last week's podcast, which was 10 Steps to Your Best Deer Hunting Season Ever, 
um, we kind of teased that we had just finished our first night of the hunt. And that first night was a banger. That was a good night. You saw a whole bunch of deer. whole lot of deer. You saw some shooter bucks. Yep. Uh, we praised the power of the first sit, which we enjoyed that night. And you said that you had 99.999% probability that you were going to kill a big giant buck the next day. I'm not sure I said it was that high. It was high, but I think that was, um, <laughs> without giving away too much, I think that was the um, beginning of the end as soon as you asked that question there. Uh, for you at least. Yeah, for me. Um, so let's let's walk through. Let's. I guess I'm going to take a step back just again to rehash stuff very quickly for people that hadn't heard, this is a hunt that was in a brand new area. All we had done leading up to this is a little bit of summer scouting. When I was out West um, in July, I was able to do some drive-bys. I did a lot of map scouting. And then I had a day, day and a half where I was able to drive and check out some of these places, basically driving past them, getting eyes on them, hopping out, doing a quick walkabout, just trying to confirm a few things, um, see if there's actually crops on the neighboring fields, see what the access looks like, all that. So I was able to do that. And through that scouting work, I pinpointed um, about four different places that I thought had good potential. One that I was the most excited about because it had river bottom cover and had private land adjacent to it with crop fields. And that's where we started the first night. We pushed in that first night and set up you in that observation stand. I went a little back further back in the cover to see what was going on back there. And you saw a ton of deer, including a number of nice bucks. And I saw a decent number of deer and passed on a two-year-old eight-pointer and some other youngins. Um, But we felt pretty good about things. So the next day, the plan was to take those observations and adjust. So in my case, I had seen deer, but I hadn't seen the quality deer I wanted but you had seen a bunch of bucks come out. Uh, basically, there's this elf alpha field you were hunting, right? Mm-hmm. And you saw some that came out on the west side, which is where you were hunting near. And then you saw another pretty substantial number of deer that came more to the east side. So I thought, all right, I'm going to sneak in the back and hunt somewhere on the back side of, again, we can't hunt the alfalfa field. We're hunting the, the, the thick stuff behind it. But I wanted to try to get back into that thick stuff to maybe intercept more of those bucks that were coming, hitting the east side of that. So I slipped in there and pushed back another 150 yards or so farther east than when I, where I was the first night. And my hopes here were just to slip in there a little bit further, hoping to intercept whatever that line of travel was. Um, but also I was scouting my way in. So as I'm, I'm working my way in, I got past where I hunted the night before I got to a Creek and this Creek had just like cow paths, mowed trails, um, not mowed literally, but just like plowed down with deer traffic on either side, paralleling the Creek. And then two different trails crisscrossed crossing it right there. And I, I saw this and it was definitely the greatest concentration I had seen to that point of travel. And then I saw some beds that had been used previously were all off on this grassy point on the knob of the creek. Um, and then I could see way down the creek bed to my west, like 300 yards or so. It was like this big you know, creek opening that you could see a long ways. And I thought, man, this is a great concentration of movement. 
and I would be able to see all the way down this creek. And if, if something doesn't come by right here for a shot tonight, I can at least see where they're crossing this creek and make an adjustment for the next day. And this is a big part of, at least from my public land experiences, when you're hunting new ground like this, something that I always, if, if the terrain allows it and the habitat allows it, I often, at least early in the hunt, am trying to set up in places where you can learn something for the next hunt. So I want to have a, a good view, at least early on when you're trying to learn these places, I need that observation stand opportunity to be able to learn because you, you can only learn so much from your off-season scouting. And in this case, I had very little off-season scouting. So basically it's learning as you go. And I wanted to see these crossings. Now you're way back in cover, but it's just this little line of sight way back in the thick stuff. So as I, you know, I got set up in the tree, I will tell you one thing that I've been very happy with as far as this trip and something that I think is important for, you know, my future public land hunting and, and something I think, you know, for most people listening, one of the things I wanted to be able to do was be more mobile than ever. Being able to adapt and move as often as you need to and do it quickly, quietly, um, efficiently. And I will tell you one thing that I think I've done better than ever before is that I've not been as mobile uh, in the past as I have been this trip. I move almost every night. I've been moving to new places and I feel like my process is way better than it's ever been. I'm able to go up in one, one trip. Um, you know, I've, I, the way I do it now, and I also tell you, my, my equipment has been improving over the last couple of years now to where I'm really happy with the system I have. So as you know, Josh, I'll run through this for, for, for people that might be interested in setting up something like this themselves. Um, we're both using saddles. I'm running the tethered phantom saddle and using the predator platform. So when I get to my tree, I put on my knee pads, I'm wearing my saddle. Um, I have a little, it's just a little, I don't know how you describe it, not a pack, but it's a little holding case for the platform that Tethered makes that's clipped to the side of my backpack. I have three climbing sticks and these that I've been using this year are from a company called Timber Ninja. And I got to tell you, and I, you know this, Josh, I'm not big on, talking about products all the time, right? I hate, I mean, we got to do ads sometimes, but I don't like to be like, oh, I would have never killed this buck if it wasn't for my blank, blank, blank. Um, So I avoid talking about products as much as possible because I hate that kind of thing. But I'm going to give a huge plug to these guys because I have been floored by these climbing sticks. These Timber Ninja carbon climbing sticks are nuts. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty slick. They're nut. I mean, they're, there's no metal on them. There's no metal. So there's no sound, there's no clanking, there's no weight. I mean, you can hold all three sticks like an empty water bottle, like a nail gene. It's stupid. Yeah, they're super light. Um, I've just been so, so, so pleased. Um, I just hate all the metal sounds on metal climbing sticks. Even if you tape your buckles, there's still just too many little pieces and parts that could possibly make noise. You have none of that. These things uh, lock onto the tree really nice. What I've done is I've used the tethered Versa straps, which is like a like a daisy chain style 
um, what would you call it? Strap. Strap. I guess that again has no metal on it. So you just wrap the strap around the tree and then you pick the loop and then you put that loop on the little button on the back, on the front side of the stick, cinch it down the tree. I also have one of these sticks with a built-in aider. So it has like a cable that slides out the bottom of the stick, which essentially adds another, excuse me, it adds another step to the bottom of that stick. So what I'm doing is I'm getting to my tree. I am taking my sticks off my pack. I am slapping that first stick up, but I'm putting it very high on the tree because I can have that aider that slips out from beneath it too. So I stick the first one on there, attach it. I then have a, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, My bow rope. It's a retractable, retractable, yes. A retractable bow rope thing. So I clip that into my pocket. I attach that to my bow on the ground. And then I take my other two sticks and I attach them to little gear ties, like those night eyes gear ties that are attached to either side of my saddle. So I've got a stick on my left hip, stick on my right hip. My backpack's on my back. The platform is clipped to the backpack. I climb up that first step. I'm using my lineman's belt and I just climb up that first one. I've got my lineman's belt. I can lean back, grab the second stick off my hip, slap that one up, shimmy up that one, grab the left one off, stick that one up, grab the platform off the back of my backpack, stick that up, step into the tree, attach my tether. I'm clipped in. I'm good to go. And my model this whole week when it comes to everything, but especially like setting up my saddle stands and all this kind of stuff. It is um, slow as smooth and smooth as fast. I've just said that over and over and over. Um, and I've tried, to, like in general, you know, I'm always in a rush. I'm always, I feel like I'm always running late or I want to get somewhere faster. I need to get this thing done. Um, and so I'm always stressing out in the woods about that. But I've just tried to be smooth with things. And when it comes to my setup process, that has really helped, I think. And so if there's anything I have done good on this trip, it's been getting up, setting up quietly and and not always like super crazy fast, but just one smooth um, process. And that's something that I think can be helpful on, you know, all sorts of public land hunts in the future. That is all to say that I quietly and efficiently got set up on the, downwind side of this creek within range of the crossings and the two parallel trails and with a view down the whole creek bed and i saw a bunch of deer um some young bucks came through so young bucks crossed way down the creek bed a bunch of does came by me but long story short on that night did not see any shooter bucks i slipped out and met you back at the truck yep and what did you see? How did your night go? What were you doing? Yeah, I, I did something similar. I kind of pushed back further into the north, into the thick stuff, um, trying to intercept these bucks that I had saw the night before coming to the alfalfa field. And so I got back in there, um, and man, it was a slow night. I think I saw. I'm trying to remember. I think I saw a few deer that night, maybe a doe and a couple of fawns, and, and maybe a, a year and a half old buck. Um, I did see one decent buck um, come through early. I don't even remember if I told you about this, but he came through early, maybe 50 to 75 yards to my west. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty quiet night. And uh, that was the the night I had high uh, <laughs> high expectations for. And, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't all come together that night. But um, yeah, it, it was uh, not, what I was ex- not what I was expecting to see that night. I was hoping for a little bit better, uh, better night. So we had 
that hunt had happened the day after we recorded last week's yep. podcast. And last week, one of the things we talked about was the importance of asking why. When you have a night like that, you need to try to think, okay, why did that happen? Let's just not assume, oh, well, it just didn't work out. Um, let's dissect some possible things and, and maybe there's something you can adjust based off of um, a guess or an assumption or some some kind of mm-hmm. sleuth work here. So what were some of the things that you think that could have led to a better night or that led to you having not such a good night? Yeah, I think um, I think I needed to be further... I'm trying to think about this. I think I needed to be further to my north and to my west is where I needed to be. Um, you know, I think once I kind of got set up, I was like, eh, I wasn't thrilled with what I saw. Like, it looked good down on the ground. There's a bunch of trails kind of all funneling down to where I think a lot of these deer were entering the alfalfa field. They kind of like looped around and then there was some fences and some gates and things like that that I thought they were going around then to get in the field. Um, but I think these deer were were staying further uh, to my west and I just didn't get over far enough and, and my guess is where that one buck came through real quick is is closer to where I needed to be which is a reason that I went towards that way the next night um, we got we gotta add something else though what we yeah. didn't mention the front which was that when we got to the parking area there were two other that's trucks right. that's right that was that night and it looked like hunters yep. um, one truck had a bow case in it um, the other one didn't, but didn't you say like a deer deer sticker? Cart. There's a deer, a deer cart, cart in one of them. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm assuming other guys back in there. So that was the that was the other big thing is like we we never saw those people come past us, but yeah, they could have been farther to the north of us. And they could have been farther to the west of us. And with the wind direction we had there, if they had been west of you, their they wind would, yeah. could have been blowing back across where you were hoping those deer were to come. Yep. And that could have been a reason why I didn't yep. see anything too. Yep. Gosh, all these nights are starting to run together. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like one thing after another. But yeah, that was that night, wasn't it? There was two trucks there in the parking lot. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of guessing that could have been what what the issue was there. The thing about this spot though is, is it was hard to gauge what you were dealing with, especially early on when we didn't know as much because there was also fish, people were going to fish from this place too. Yep. So you'd see these trucks and you were thinking, well, are they fishing? Are they hunting? Uh I don't know. Now, one of the things that I always try to do when I'm hunting public land, especially if we think there's other people, is you try to get away from the other people, right? And in this case, we were walking a closed road that you couldn't drive on at all, almost a mile all the way back. Um, And then you were hunting a little bit off that, and then I was hunting way off that. So I thought you would have gotten away from most competition. And it seems like most people didn't go all the way back there. Um, But fast forward to the next day now again we wanted to make an adjustment so i again wanted to push no what did we want to do i was going to push back further the next day um because we had the possibility of of, oh this was the adversity day yeah (laughs) of several um okay so we had had that night things didn't go as we wanted so i had seen on the maps several other fields that I was assuming and I thought had been alfalfa further to the east of this location. A much longer walk. You'd have to walk that closed road and then jump back into the cover and then walk the edge, you know, another mile or so to get back to these secluded fields. But my thought was no one's going to go that far back. I mean, it's two miles back from the parking area. 
very far from any other access points. And if that is a secluded alfalfa field out there, that's going to be money. Josh, you're, and I'll let you tell your side of the story here, but at a high level, your thought was, well, let me take one more stab at these deer that I saw and make one more adjustment. Maybe it was a fluke last night and and I just wasn't quite in the right spot. Right? Yep. Basically. And I was actually going to sit a little closer to the two track this time, but, but further to the West and it was a little bit more open in there. Um, where I could see exactly maybe where they were coming through um, just to have some better sight lines. And, and then, you know, the deer, they were moving earlier at that point in the trip. Yeah. Um, so I was hoping that if I didn't push in as far, I'd be able to see a little bit more again, almost like a like another secondary observation sit almost, um, but also be in in the game there um, with where I was. Yeah, um, and 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 I want to reiterate one of the things that that I'm always trying to do on these hunts is is you keep adjusting until you've got it figured out. Very rarely would I ever say just stick it out in the same spot over and over. So it's like you see what you learn something from that day, whether it be when you're scouting on your way in, or something you saw, or something on trail camera, whatever it is, and then adjust, adjust, adjust. Um, and so in this case, we were just trying to make, you were making micro adjustments because you, you were in a spot where so many yep. deer had come through that it seemed like, you know, barring some kind of hunting pressure disaster that you would hopefully get a chance. Yep. I, on the other hand, was trying to find this secondary spot since I didn't want to crowd in on your stuff too much. Um, so I was going to make a bigger adjustment to try to get to this really far away secluded field that in my head, I thought, man, if you get in that, and this is, there's a there was the alfalfa field on the private land that you were hunting near, and then there's a standing cornfield next to that, and then what looked to be an alfalfa field tucked in behind that. Yep. And I just thought to myself, man, that's way back in there. I got to believe if so many deer were coming to this one that you were hunting near, that there's probably a bunch going to this other one. And if I could slip in there, man, that could be money. So we hike in, we hike the mile back on the closed road. We get to the end of the road where you're about to jump in and try to find a place. And there's two hunters standing there on the road. Yep. And two, uh, yeah, two guys, two young guys who are going to hunt right there on the edge and they had access to this from the private land. So they didn't have to come all that way in. They just popped in through the private land and were hunting the edge there, Um, which ended up being something that we had to deal with a lot more throughout the trip. Even though I thought we were getting so far away from other hunters because we were going so far um, from the public access, you know, when there's, in, in the case of a lot of the places we hunted, they were long and skinny. So if you came in from the public, you had a long walk to get this stuff. If you came on private, it could be a much shorter walk. And I'll tell you, there was just a lot more hunting pressure in, you know, for a Western whitetail hunt than I've ever had before. Um, I've never encountered so many Western whitetail hunters. Um, so I don't know what's going on in Idaho, but you guys need to pick up elk hunting or mule deer hunting or antelope hunting. <laughs> You've got these mountains full of critters. Get out there, leave the whitetails alone. Whitetails are boring. They're small. Uh, they're like rats. Just ignore them. That's my recommendation. But, uh, but yeah, so I forgot to mention another thing happened this night. Before we even got there, we got a flat tire. Oh, yeah. So we were pulled off at a little access point. We were doing some work midday. And when we got back into the truck, we realized we had a flat tire. So we had a, we fixed the flat tire, but that made us late for everything. So we were running late to get to the hunting spot. 
after fixing the tire. And then we got there, got all the way back. Then there's these two hunters. Then I leave you. You go get set up. I start hiking. I slip in there and I'm trying to be quiet. And this stuff's just like thicker than just, I'm just gnarly, nasty stuff. And I'm trying to slip through there quietly and just slowly taking my time. But it took a very long time. I finally get all the way around this chunk of private. I have to, I have to walk this, this public, jog around this chunk that kind of goes into the public land. Way around. I'm adding like another mile to my hike. I get around to the other side to where the secluded alfalfa field is supposed to be, and it is standing corn. So I'm looking at this, and it's you know September 4th or 5th or whatever it was. There's 3rd, I don't remember, but early September, and there's green alfalfa fields around here, I know. Yep. And I just, historically, from what I've seen, these deer are not going to key in on corn until it dries down, until you know October or something. Um, maybe they'll you know, nibble on it a little bit, but... I don't think it's going to be nearly as attractive as those green alfalfa fields. So my thought was, man, this is not going to be the spot to be. There's another field I can see on Onyx that is even further to the east. And I think, well, I've already gone this far. I might as well go another half mile to get to this next one. Maybe that'll be the honey hole. So I keep hiking, keep hiking. And there's so many like stickers and burrs and prickers and crap like my, my, pants and boots and everything are just covered in stuff. I get all the way to this next field. And first off, it is not a green alfalfa field. It's like a cut hay field. It's just, just dry brown, um, straw. And then there's a truck parked there on the private land, but it's like next to there, there's some cattle in a little corral. And then there's a, a truck parked next to that. And so I'm sitting there thinking, man, is this a hunter? Or is this just like an old farm truck that's just sitting back here by the cows? Uh, does this mean there's a farmer back in here doing something? Or does he just leave his truck here? And so I'm sitting here trying to think through all this crap and I'm frustrated. And now it, we'd been late in the first place. And then I'd been hiking for like an hour and a half or something. So now it's down to maybe an hour of daylight or <laughs> hour and 15 minutes of daylight. So finally I decided, screw it. I'm just going to move back, pop up in a stand here and just watch the edge of the standing cornfield and this little kind of staging area back behind it and a little bit of this straw field. And, you know, I might as well just try to get in a tree and see something for all this time I just spent walking out here. And long story short, I didn't see any deer around me at all. Zero deer. I did see some deer come out into that hay field way off, like 500 yards away. Uh, and, and a nice buck, like a shooter buck. The first for sure shooter buck that I saw of the trip and he came out and his, he had velvet peeling. So it was like dangling off his antlers. Very cool. He comes out and another buck that was like a borderline kind of deer and a couple other little ones. And they're out there feeding and they're moving in my direction. This, the big buck every once in a while would look at the tree line that was like in between me and him. So I've got a standing cornfield and then there's a little tree line and then there's the field that he's in. And he, he would stop and he was kind of staring at that tree line. And it was kind of like he was staring in my general direction, but I knew there was, he wasn't staring at me. He was so, so, so far away and the wind wasn't blowing that way at all. So I kept wondering, is there another deer there? Is there someone there? What's going on? But the evening progresses and it gets to the last like 10 minutes of daylight. And then I hear, crank, crank, plank, plank. And a truck starts driving down the edge of that field just barreling down the edge of the field. 
and just drives like a bat out of hell all the way down the field past the deer, like within like a hundred yards or 50, I don't know, 50, hundred yards, something of those deer driving past them all the way down to the end of the field. And I can hear the truck stop. I hear doors open and close and then nothing. And then those deer eventually run off. So there go the deer and someone had driven in here. And now I'm wondering, okay, what were these people doing? Um, was it the farmer? I don't know. So the rest of the night passes another 10 minutes. It's just about dark. I'm packing up and then I hear crunch, 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 crunch. And I look down the kind of opening where I'm at. There's a little trail I was near. And here comes a guy. And I'm looking at the guy and he's wearing like a white jacket. And it's like not what I would expect a hunter to be wearing, but he's wearing a white jacket and it's like ripped up and he's walking right at me and he's holding his bow and his arrow is knocked and he's like clipped on walking with his bow like this. And it's like the end of the night and like charging at me, like moving very quickly right at me. And I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? (laughs) And how does he not see me? He ended up walking literally within like two yards of my tree right underneath me. And I just, I don't know. It just was kind of a weird situation and the guy was a little different <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to bring any attention yeah, to myself. Yeah. I'm going to let this guy just go. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he had been hunting that edge and was going into the private land to get to his truck somewhere else or if he was, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Probably so, a good idea to not say anything in that so situation. He, so he walked on by and I'm frazzled and frustrated and then I go to get my headlamp to start packing stuff up. And I've realized that in all the chaos earlier in the day, I forgot my headlamp. So I know headlamp. I've got like a psycho killer that's walking <laughs> past my tree stand. And, and now I've got to do more than two miles back in the dark through this hellhole of brush. And to make this fast, I had a horrible hike back. I had to use my cell phone flashlight and a little tiny light that's on the quiver of my bow. Neither of them ter- worked terribly well in the situation. I fell down a lot. I got bruised up. I covered in burrs again. And by the time I got to the truck, I realized that I lost two of my arrows out of my quiver too. So that was my night. Um, that was my adversity day. You, had what happened? I ended up going further back in than what I originally wanted to. Um, I was maybe... I had moved maybe 50 to 75 yards from where I was sitting the night before thinking maybe I'd catch one of those bucks coming through again. I decided to go back in further because that, um, that other hunter was, was basically going to blow all his wind right back to where I wanted to sit. So I was trying to kind of get back and around from him to not have to deal with any of that. And I saw a few small bucks that night and a couple of does, but, but um, not, the, not the deer I was looking for that night again. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. 
No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. So, here's, here's one of the things that I think needs to be thought about when it comes to hunting public land. Especially if you're doing something like this where you're going to brand new ground. It is really helpful. I wish that I had had more time this summer to go and scout this out on foot so that I would have known what each field had. So what I would so that I would have known, you know, a little bit more about the habitat features. So we, instead of discovering these things every day as we went, I could say, okay, I know exactly where the three best food sources are. Plan things accordingly. I could have saved essentially a wasted night. That night was a waste for me. So when you're on a trip like this where you only have seven, eight days or whatever, you can't afford to have wasted days. You can't afford to have wasted nights. And and we had one. So if if I'm looking for different takeaways or things that I could have done differently that I can do differently in the future, one of those things is going to be, again, try to get more scouting time. And we talked about this last week, scout, 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 the more scouting, the better. And and I thought we had done, I thought we had found the things we needed to find. I felt confident, but you know, we kept finding, we kept having new challenges that forced us to, forced us to do new things in which having more information would have helped. So you can never have enough scouting. Maybe we could have done more scouting during the trip. That's another thing I thought about the last couple of days is should we have been taking some of the time midday when we were doing work or when we took a fishing break a couple of times? Um, should we have gone and been walking some other stuff to put, you know, some contingency plans in place? Um, it's a weird balancing act on a trip like this because you're trying to kill a deer. You're trying to do this at the same time. You, you have to get, at least in our case, we still have to work. And then, you know, like we had some days like over the long weekend and stuff where we're still trying to have a good time a little bit and do some fishing, enjoy yourself. Uh, you're out West. You don't get to do that a lot. But then I look and say, well, we didn't spend every single possible minute scouting right. or hunting. Right. We could have done a little more. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I start looking back on and trying to, you know, analyze and think through what could you have done differently? Uh, or maybe not, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you don't need to be a machine on a trip like this. Maybe it's okay to have some days where you go do something a little bit different because that keeps your morale high and that makes the larger trip enjoyable. Um, it's not all just about failing a tag, right? Right. Um, so, so I don't know, but that's, these are all the things that I'm thinking about and that I'm going to continue to battle with, I think. And, 
Yeah, no, debate. I I've definitely had those same thoughts. I'm like, oh man, should we have been doing this or, you know? And then I started thinking, if we go look at some of these other places, are we putting more unnecessary pressure on some of these spots than what they're maybe already getting? You know, um, by going in there and scouting around and checking things out. Um, but yeah, I I also think some of our our fishing breaks have been a much needed morale boost for some of the days that we've had. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's a catch twenty two for sure. Yeah, and and to your point, I mean, that's the con- the constant balancing act on a hunt like this is that balance between scouting and learning and hunting while keeping pressure as low as possible. And the whole name of the game on these hunts, this one more than some hunts I've been on, has been dealing with hunting pressure. Yeah, it has been constant. It has been more than expected. It's been in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And it's basically thrown a grenade into every different plan we've put in place. And we've adjusted and you'll hear, we keep on pivoting and we keep on going to new spots or pushing in deeper or trying to adjust based on what's happening. And then there's a new grenade and a new grenade. And I think that brings me to the second or whatever number we're on another takeaway for me when I look back on this experience and look back on past public land hunts and it's just being able to do what we just, you have to be able to pivot. You have to somehow put on a smiley face and pivot to the next option. And so many times we've had that happen where it's like, son of a bitch, this thing happened. And then the way I try to handle it is like, I'll feel it. I'll, I'll give myself like that night. I'm going to be pissed about it that night. I'm going to be frustrated. We'll vent to each other for a little bit. And then it's all right. You got to adapt and adjust. You got to push through it. You can't, you know, it's all, it's fun. It's so funny. Everything we talked about last week in that episode, we've dealt we've with dealt, this week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it, good timing. For it that was episode. good timing because so much of the mental stuff we talked about, we've had to try to practice this week and it's not easy. It's not always easy to practice what you preach on that one because so many times you want to get disheartened, you want to get frustrated, and and don't want to. You do. I yeah. do get disheartened. I do get frustrated. I do get uh, just down on stuff, and you somehow have to try to battle that. And it's it's something that you just got to do your best at and try to figure out a way to keep on grinding. I think we both had some therapy sessions in the truck on the way home yeah. from hunts this this week for sure. So yeah, I tell you what, it's nice to be with somebody else. So yeah, I've been on hunts like this solo, and it's it's easy to it's easier to fall into those things when it's just you in your head. Hundred percent. When you've got another person there, usually one of you can be like the good cop. So if like when you're feeling down about something, I was trying to tell you, hey, you know, hey, it can all change. Got to keep pushing, whatever. And then when I'm pissed off about something, you were saying the same thing back to me. And that I think is a, is a another great reason to go on these hunts with a partner um to to have a built-in psychiatrist if you need it (laughs) (laughs) um so that was night number three or four or whatever it was um hunting pressure influenced us from both sides in a bunch of unexpected ways so after that i think um we decided to try a new area right this is my adversity day this, well, your next day was the adversity day, wasn't it? Mm-mm. This is, I think, well, I don't know. I can't even remember what they were. <laughs> um, One of the many adversity days. Yeah, but this day I decided to go and hunt a new spot that was kind of farther to the east. 
And this was in, in the same general area, give or take. So I, I, I believe there to be more green alfalfa fields in this section over here that we could access from a different access point, different spot, but get into similar types of habitat. Great thick river bottom cover with private land crop fields on the outside. So same kind of game. I just wanted to get into the backside of this area. And this time I found an access point that didn't seem to be as known. It wasn't like a place that's just for hunting. It seemed to be something that um, if you didn't know you could get in here to hunt um, from past experience, you wouldn't know it. While the other place had like a gated little parking lot and a closed road that you could walk a mile back. This spot, there was nothing. There was just a bunch of woods and you had to cross a road, dip into a little piece, chunk of timber, hop a fence, and then you were in it. So that said, to get back to one of these crop fields, I had, I had spotted some good bucks feeding out into one of these fields this past July, I guess it was. And I marked that on Onyx. So I knew, okay, I know for sure that there's some good bucks back in that timber and that cover back there. It's about two miles to get back there though. But we've been dealing with a lot of hunting pressure. And when you look at this map, you've got a narrow stretch of cover along this river on the public land. And then it eventually widens out and there's a bunch of oxbows and just really good looking stuff. And that was all right near where that field where I saw those bucks were. So all that told me that this seems to be a good area to be. We decided to make the hike and do it. So got on the hiking boots and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And as we walk in, there was a trail camera and a tree stand just like within a hundred yards of the access point. So already I'm like, oh no, <laughs> more hunters on this, in this spot too. Keep going. We see another tree stand way up high. Keep going. We see a ground blind. So now I'm sweating bullets thinking that even in this spot, we're back in it. But we eventually get, I don't know, about a mile out back that disappeared. Mm-hmm. And we get to a spot where the river comes tight to the private land and there's a small pinch of public in between it. And there is a alfalfa field on the public land, no, on the private land and an open gate and then the public land and a bunch of trails you could see all coming through there. And that looked pretty darn good to me. So we decided that somebody should, should sit there and you did. I did. I sat there. You sat there. Yeah. Um, ended up being a, a better night than the previous nights. Um, they didn't quite use that area like I thought they would. Um, I don't think I had any deer come back from the cover and go through the gate. Um, I did see a few, uh, like one for sure shooter buck that had came from my east. Um, I think he was maybe on, on the private or on, yeah, on the private land. Um, they were way out, 100, 200 yards out, a uh, small bachelor group with some other bucks. But um, other than that, not a whole lot going on back there. I ended up seeing uh, a couple moose, I think like four moose that night that came right out of the thick bedding where I, I was hoping deer would come from. A, a bull and a cow moose came out of there making all sorts of racket. Um, there was a deer headed down a trail towards me. And that's when those moose came out and I never saw that deer. I don't know what it was. I could just see the back of it. Um, but yeah, ended up uh, dealing with, with moose that night. I think there ended up being four out in the field by the time I left. And as soon as they came out, I had a couple does come in the field, but um, not really any other action from, from bucks that night, um, at least close. 
everything was was a, a ways off in the distance on on private. Yeah. So I had continued on past that point, and I wanted to try to get to this area directly above where I had spotted those bucks in the summer. And what I was trying to do with this situation was find, and again, I'd never walked back in here before. So you're trying to look at a map and pick the best possible location off of a map. But what I saw was, as I look at this area directly above where the crop fields were, there was a long stretch where it was relatively open, kind of sagebrush, open field kind of stuff on the public land. And then there was a line of trees and then another opening and then a bunch of really good thick stuff that led up into this section of islands and oxbows. And with the wind direction we had, I'm looking at that and I'm trying to pick, okay, where would I hunt in this huge check or this huge chunk of ground, well, if I'm going to have a good starting point, if I'm a buck, there's a decent chance I'm not going to cover any of that. I'm not going to cross any of that open stuff. I'm going to want to stay in thick cover. So I looked at where's the thickest stuff and then how would you come from that very thickest stuff and these islands down along that edge? My assumption was that they would go no farther east than this sagebrush edge. So my idea was to set up essentially off that edge beneath it in a spot where I could see but be on, you know, within shooting range of this main trail that came off that edge. That's all I had to work with. And then I wanted to be somewhere where I could at least see a good distance on either side. Again, pointing to that whole observation idea when you're on these hunts. Want If you're not really sure of where you're at, what you're doing, be in a place where you can learn something and adjust for the next day. So I got set up, saw some does early on, and then, I don't know, the last 20 minutes of daylight, I had a buck pop out. Dropped down right off that edge, came across, and when I first saw him, I'm thinking, oh, that might be a shooter buck. And he turned and looked at me. He was like a decent eight-pointer, and I'm ranging him. He's just past 40 yards, and at that distance and the angle I had, I'm like, I don't want to try to make that shot. Um, it just wasn't a shot I felt comfortable with, with the way he was coming in and the way the tree was in front of me. So at the same time, I see a second deer come behind him. And that deer steps back just a little bit farther behind him, and I put my binoculars up on him, and he is a big buck. He's a big buck. Um, like a buck I would not expect to see in public land. And he's at 55, and the two of them pass. One's a little past 40. One's at around 55, and they move through, and I can't get a shot at anything. It's too far for the big one. They move through. Very excited. Moments later, I see another deer, another like 15 yards farther back. And he steps out and he's even bigger, um, big, big buck. So I see these three nice bucks. Two of them are impressive deer and they go through and quickly we're out of sight, but I pinpoint exactly where they crossed. Happened very fast. It was intense um, and I couldn't get a shot but it was this moment of hope and excitement. And I knew right away, okay, I'm going to make an adjustment tomorrow and I'm going to get a shot at him. Now, when I sit and look back on that night, I see one glaring missed opportunity. And I just in the moment, I never even thought about it and I don't know why not, but I didn't even think to try a grunt. Mm. I should have, I mean, you, you could make an argument that 
these deer were completely unaware of my presence. They're moving through, you know, maybe it could have spooked them, but these deer out here, I think, at least I used to think are relatively less pressured and, and more apt to be susceptible to calls. So I think I could have tried a you know light little contact grunt and maybe could have made what I'm curious. All I would have needed is that, you know, that second buck to come another 20 yards closer out of curiosity. I might've been able to get a shot and I just never thought about it. I don't know what, yeah. ha- what it was. I mean, I was just in the moment and it was like, Oh my gosh, look at that one. And then, Oh my gosh, look at that one. Right. Um, but that could have been a game changer, maybe. You never know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but that's something that if I'm looking back on things that I could have done differently, that's definitely one of them. So I didn't. The bucks moved off. I waited till I was quite, pretty confident they'd moved way off and went out to the fields and were long gone. And then I slipped out of there really quiet, pulled my set, and then I made sure to remember exactly where those deer crossed visually so that the next day my plan was to come in and set up about 50, 60 yards farther to the east to hopefully intercept them coming back through. I was very excited that night um, and was full of hope, excited to see what would happen. And the next day, to be to, to move it along, I guess, you had some stuff come up you couldn't hunt that night, some stuff. Um, so I was going solo, and I snuck back in there. And this was, I, I felt great. The, the, the wind was right. I slipped in there in such a way that, you know, just once I got close to this generator, I was just in super stealth mode, took it slow and smooth. Then I slipped in and made a big loop back around this section so that I wouldn't walk anywhere that these deer might possibly cross. Made sure that my scent was as far to the downwind side of possible. So I essentially did like a J hook around and then approached my tree from the bottom, got into it, got all set up. Um, and, and I found the tree. So I didn't have a setup there yet at this point. And basically had moved to be downwind of where these bucks had passed through, but within shot shooting range of where all three deer came through. I found a tree with a big fork and a bunch of vines hanging off of it that provided some pretty darn good cover. And um, I felt good. The night progressed. We should point out all of these nights, it was like 90s, high 80s to low 90s the whole Very week. Very hot. Very hot. Super hot. So all the movement was in the last half hour to hour in most cases. And that ended up being the case here. We get to the last half hour or so. A bunch of does come out, pass by, and then boom, here comes a buck popping out of the same spot that those bucks did the night before. And so I'm like, holy crap, game on. I got my bow. I clip on. First, there's like a little velvet five-pointer, and then a hard-horned six, and then a velvet seven-pointer, and then there's one other buck, I think a forky, and then here comes that eight-pointer from the night before. And so at that point, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is the running buddy. Then right behind him is going to be the, the two giants. And so they come in, they filter in, and they stop like all around me. So I've got five bucks like, all, in all directions of me, all within shooting range, fiddling around that big eight, not big eight, but like a decent eight. He's like rubbing his antlers and tree limbs and fiddling around. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, God, where's the other bucks? Where are the other bucks? Where are the other bucks? Should I shoot that eight pointer? Where are the other bucks? They got to be coming. They got to be coming. And to, to, to move to jump right to it, I guess, I decided not to shoot that eight-pointer because I just had to give it a chance for these other deer to come. They'd been with him the night before. 
and they never showed. And the other deer eventually moved off. And I had chip shots at this eight pointer that I didn't take, um, or all these other bucks. I mean, I could have shot any one of these five bucks and I didn't because I had kind of gotten my mind set on one of those two big boys. And that could have been viewed as a mistake because I haven't seen those two bucks again. And I, you know, this is a similar situation to what I had last year where I was in North Dakota and I'd seen a really big buck scouting one morning and I went in and made a move on him and out comes a really nice eight. This one's a bigger eight. And I passed on him because I was hoping that the real big buck would be behind him and he never showed and I never saw him again. And then I found myself regretting not taking that shot. In this situation, I don't think I made the wrong decision in that case because I had to at least give it one chance to have those big guys roll through. Like it would have killed me if I shot that buck and then they showed up right behind him. Um, at the same time, I sure would like to fill tag. So I don't know. You could make an argument that I'm an idiot because I keep passing on a lot of nice bucks out here in public land that a lot of guys would take. Um, you can make an argument that hunt your own hunt and do what makes yep. you happy. And at that moment, that is what I, I really want to try. to. I, I made the move for those two deer. I really want to get a chance at those two deer. I was very excited about those two deer. And I want to give the chance for that to play out. It didn't play out. It didn't work out. Um, it is what it is. But it's something that I'm sure I'm going to be thinking about in the days to come. And I did think about in the days to come because the next day I thought, okay, well, those bucks came through exactly like I was hoping they would. They didn't spook. They didn't freak out. I had a lot of deer move through. It was all, it all went to script, but the two big boys didn't show. I, you never know, but I thought in my head, man, there's a chance it was just a fluke last night and maybe they'll come through again. I think I should give it another chance. So I decided to slip back in there. I've got the same wind, same conditions, everything. I'm going to try it one more time from that spot. I get into that spot. I'm feeling good. It's looking good. And I don't know, maybe a half hour into the sit, I start hearing uh, ATVs or UTVs driving up. And I hear like kids like yelling and screaming. And they pull up like close. It sounds like they're 100 yards away or 150 yards away or something. And my heart sinks. And I'm thinking, oh no, what's going on? And they're coming from the private land. So this group of people comes in off the private land and they start like cutting stuff. I hear saws and hammers and people hitting metal against metal. And I'm trying to listen and try to figure out what, what are they doing? Um, because at this point I'm thinking, okay, do I need to bail or do I stick it out? Like, is this going to be, a, like, they're coming in here grabbing something, farm equipment, and then they're going to be gone or are they like, going to be here for a long time? So I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm sitting there stressing out, trying to decide what to do. And then I hear someone mention something about tie downs and it sounded like there was girls and boys at first. And when I hear the thing tie downs, I started thinking, are they like setting up camp? Like, is it like a group of kids that are going to like set up a tent and camp out on their, you know, on the edge of their farm for the night? So I got this idea in my head that, that was maybe what was going on because it was like, for a long time, all this noise in one place. So I thought, okay, I have to move. I, I'm, you know, I'm too close to all this commotion. These bucks aren't going to come all the way out here, but maybe they'll come out of the bedding. And if I get right in the edge of the bedding, maybe they'll stop there and mill around and I'll be able to get a shot. So I pulled out my stuff. I decided to leave my set hanging and I'm going to sneak on the ground and try to set up on the ground. 
I slip out. I sneak about 200 yards deeper into the bedding cover area, towards the bedding cover at least. Slip sliding in real slow, sneak, sneak, sneak. I'm seeing some good trails and sign. I'm feeling like I'm getting right to the edge of like where like the real real bedding stuff is happening. I get in there. I settle in, find a little nook to get comfy in, and I think it's down to, I don't know, like an hour and a half or an hour of daylight left or something. And I think, okay, maybe this will work out. I, you know, I was saying this stuff we were just saying, adapt and adjust. Like in my head, I was like, God, totally screwing up this great plan I had, but no, we're going to adapt and adjust. I'm going to sneak in. It's going to be all right. Get set. And then I hear, and the dang ATV or UTV with a bunch of people comes driving right across this track that I crossed all the way back into me. I can't quite see that. I can, I can see them come up on a little rise and then they now they're coming back into the bedding cover by me and they're yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering and stuff and they drive past me deeper back towards the river, like right into all the good bedding cover. So now I'm basically devastated and I'm thinking, okay, I have to, then now this spot's blown out. What's the next thing I'll do? If I'm these deer and all this commotion is happening here on the east side, maybe these deer will pivot and they'll try to go to the far west side. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back to the trail and I'm going to go to the far west side of this chunk and just hope that maybe whatever deer aren't totally scared out of their minds might come through that section as far away from the noise and commotion as possible. So then I slip slide, sneak, 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 sneak. We're down to like the last half hour of daylight, 40 minutes, something like that. I sneak over there and get positioned in a spot where if nothing else, I can walk, I can watch a little kind of a lane and see where these, how these deer adjusted. Cause I, I believe that deer, these deer would do something. I wanted to see how they adjusted to all this commotion to the east. So find a new spot, get set up, tucked into a cedar, and not like five minutes after getting settled in. Here comes another UTV, drives down, and this one, this time, comes all the way past me, literally within 10 yards of me. Um, and there's a group of like young people on it, hooting and hollering, yelling. They've got what looks like ladder stands in the back of their UTV, and they drive past me. They drive back into another section of the river. I hear them yelling and hooting and like yee-hawing and making like obnoxious amounts of noise. A couple minutes later, they come driving by again. And I'm trying to like listen and hear and stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? What are these people doing? Like it made like when they were just going and setting up camp or something or what I thought was setting up camp. Okay. That's one thing. But now they're driving all over the property and it's not like they're just chatting with each other. They're they're making obnoxious amounts of noise, banging metal, like banging things on the ladders and stuff. And then I hear someone say, he was seeing some nice deer. And then the other guy says, not anymore. Ha 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 ha. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm reading too much into it or what, but at that point I'm like, oh my gosh, my hunt's being sabotaged. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're, I mean, they, they certainly, certainly seem that these kids are trying to screw this whole area. It really seemed like they're going all over the place, making a ton of noise. And like that time of day, like the last hour of right. light, like last hour of daylight, they were obviously hunters. You could see they had stuff in the back of their thing, but they weren't dressed to hunt. Um, and they're talking about, you know, someone had been seeing nice deer back there. Not anymore. Ha ha ha. I don't know. Maybe who knows what the situation was, but I had a moment where I'm thinking these sons of these guys, someone is following my Instagram story 
and is seeing and has somehow pinned down where I'm hunting or they've seen my truck and they figured out I'm hunting back here and they're trying to blow it up. That's probably not the case, but I certainly had a moment there where I was like, oh my gosh, this is really, really frustrating. And uh, yeah, so that was a bad night for me. I got out of there and was upset with the whole scenario and not sure what I wanted to do and uh, decided to hold off on my live Instagram updates for a few days because of that. Um, and that was a situation where what can you do? I mean, yeah. we yep. kept on trying to pivot from all these different pressure, hunting pressure scenarios. And then I'm two miles off from the nearest public access, two freaking miles back. And then you've got people coming in and blowing it up. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do about that? Um, yeah. I was, I was dialed in on two like awesome public land bucks. And then that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that was a bummer of a night. I had a similar night that night. Um, we had pulled a trail oh, camera. Yeah. At this point, we kind of decided to split up. That spot was getting so much pressure. Let's split up, see what we can find in some other spots. So um, we had pulled a trail cam midday and got some recent intel that there was some good bucks at one of these other areas that we're looking at. And geez, what, that camera was up for four or five days. Mm-hmm. And we had three deer that were all shooters yeah, on there, two of them, shooters. one in daylight, one on the edge of daylight, and one was in the middle of the night. But, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of in the spot you wouldn't really think to hunt, but it was definitely getting some traffic, some some deer traffic through it where it kind of pinches down. And, um, you know, it's holiday weekend, and I'm not too far from the access road, and there's some two tracks and stuff through it. And, man, it was just... ATV after UTV after dirt bike after truck going down the road and it finally stopped you know maybe an hour and a half before before dark but I think the damage had already been done at that point where we thought those deer would be coming from there's people driving by all day pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever and you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. 
Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Going back to what I talked about earlier, how you need to have, you know, you need to have a lot of scouting, you need a lot of contingency plans Mm -hmm. when you're going to do some public land hunting. And what I did do well to a degree was I had a lot of contingency plans this year. Not that I didn't have like well-researched or well-scouted, but I had places like I had places that I I knew a little bit about, you know, four different good chunks that we could hunt that I had a basic level of knowledge about. And then in this case, this is one property that we went in and we did scout it on foot. The first day we got in that first morning, we went and scouted this and hung cameras just as a backup plan. We wanted to go hunt these other places first, but we wanted to have this backup. And thank goodness we did because, you know, when we decided that there was just too much stuff going on and you were going to try this new area, pulled the camera and right yeah. there, new boost of hope. Gave us some new hope. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Two nice bucks using it. And, um, three. didn't work out for you that night. Yeah. Three nice bucks. Yeah. Didn't work out for you that night, but it, it gave us another option to work with. Um, and so what? So that was the sabotage night. And again, so much of this hunt was just like, you get punched in the face and like, how do you get back up? The moral of the story, the more, if you, if you want to take anything from this whole podcast about the trials and tribulations of public land deer hunting, the biggest thing is learn to take a punch, like learn to take a punch, get back up and adjust. How do you adjust to hunting pressure? How do you adjust to the guy walking past your tree stand? How do you adjust to there being three trucks at the parking lot when you show up to your spot? How do you adjust when your tree stand gets stolen? Like all these different things are possible on public land and you can have great, hunts. Like I've killed some great bucks on public land. I've had some really fun hunts on public land. We've seen a lot of good bucks on public land. Like we've been right there on the edge of it. We've been so close to getting shots. And then we've had all these things happen where right when we're zeroing in, bam, here comes someone else. Bam, here comes something else. Um, so it's, it's, it's possible. It's awesome, but it's tough. It's different. And We've just had to keep on reminding ourselves of, hey, it could change in a second. We just have to keep on moving to the next option, move to the next option, and maybe this one, it'll finally work out. So it's definitely been a a game of of mental chess, just trying to figure out a way to stay positive and keep moving. But we had the sabotage night. The next day, we hunted in the morning. Um, we started hunting mornings the back half of the trip, given the fact that we hadn't filled our tags yet. Stuff was starting to get a little uh, down to the line. So we had we scouted one morning to that point, and now we started hunting. Um, and I don't even think there's anything terribly exciting about no. these hunts. We no. hunted that, that new areas where we both hunted. Neither one of us saw anything to speak of. That night was like a dangerous windstorm that came through and like was blowing down trees all over the place. We did not hunt that night. Um, but when you look at a short trip like this, 
every hunt matters. We, yep. we missed a night because yep. of that. So that was a big deal. Like that was one eighth of our possible good hunts right. as far as evening hunts gone because of a storm. And then I had another wasted hunt because of my debacle hike. Um, and you could point to a lot of our other hunts that became debacles, yep. became wasted hunts because of this hunting pressure, the sabotage night, all that kind of stuff. So that brings us to last night, right? Yep. So we've had all these things happen. We've had everywhere we've gone, we've been blown up by other hunters or other people, but we have had sightings and we have had some close calls. So last night I did some mental gymnastics and I'm trying to think through, okay, what should I do? Um, my initial gut reaction was that, okay, all that action happened in there two nights prior. We had this big storm blow through and a big coal front hit. So it went from being in the 90s to now being in like the 50s. Or yeah, I think it was like high, yeah. high 50s. Yeah. Um, so huge coal front pushed through. All that commotion that happened back in my little honey hole was bad, but it was all on a UTV and like in just like a couple places where they got out. So these deer are used to farmers coming in and making a racket all around here. I kind of convinced myself that maybe the impact won't be quite as bad as I initially feared. And I forgot to mention that night after they drove by and left, I ended up seeing deer immediately start moving. Like mm -hmm. as soon as they drove away, the last five minutes of daylight, I had a couple bucks and a couple does come crossing in front of me still. So that gave me a thinking, okay, these deer just hunker down. They wait till the farmers leave and then they get right back to it. So now I'm thinking maybe with this mega cold front that just pushed through and with the fact that all that sabotage at least was, you know, it wasn't a guy crisscrossing on foot everywhere. It was people driving around. We're driving up to the property to go hunt and we see a truck on the side of the road on the private land with two hunters getting ready to go and hunt. So now I've got a new curveball thrown in my plans because they this was pretty close to if those guys came off the private, went straight in, they would eventually hit the same general area as hunting on public. So as I'm hiking in to go in there, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking in my mind what to do. And I've got one part of me that says, you had this blow up in there two nights ago and now there's two guys that are going to hunt somewhere in the same general area. You need to pull your set and you need to push in there even deeper right into the heart of the bedding and hope something works out. The other side of me said, this huge cold front came through. It's going to get the deer moving early. The whole farmer thing I just described to you, which hopefully will make things not as bad. And these two hunters that you're seeing have not been here at all this week. This is the first time I've ever seen this truck or these hunters anywhere in the area. So they don't, they pro I'm, I'm making assumptions, but as I was trying to like make guesswork here, I'm thinking, okay, they're locals because they're accessing from the private land. If I'm a local around here, I don't think anyone ever comes and hunts as public. I can't believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I got to believe it's rare that people are hunting the public land, hiking in two miles to get back to this stuff. So they're not used to other hunters being back there probably. And secondly, if I live out here and I'm a Western guy, you're probably used to seeing a bunch of whitetails coming out and feeding in these huge alfalfa fields, right? There's tons of deer. They're all feeding out in these fields. Um, I'm thinking if it's the first night out that I've been out and a big cold front is in, I'm thinking these deer are going to be on the fields. So maybe these guys are just going to hunt the field edge. So I did all these mental gymnastics and I convinced myself that I should sit the same tree again because I just had a lot of confidence in that spot 
specific tree. Like I knew that was the killing tree that these bucks had come by twice before. And I just didn't have as much confidence if I went in and tried to find a brand new spot further in that might get me closer to the bedding, but I wouldn't be in the right spot. And we're down to only you know two more sits, two more nights at least. And essentially I, I, I was juggling this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth as I'm hiking in for the two hours or the two miles. And right when I get to the spot where my saddle's hung up, I slip in there and there's deer moving already. There's some does that I end up bumping away from where I was. So there I'm thinking, okay, there's deer in here feeding, hanging out comfortable. That means those guys didn't come in here. They are hunting the edge. I'm still the furthest back. It's going to be okay. I climb in there. I decide to give it a shot and I don't see crap the whole night. I saw a moose and a calf and I saw two more does that came from the alfalfa heading back into bedding. Nothing came through from, I heard some deer blowing back further into the bedding which made me wonder if maybe one of these hunters did push back there and was scaring deer and was essentially cut me off. Yep. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but it was a really disappointing, frustrating night again. And, uh, you know, this is a situation where maybe I had rose colored glasses. Maybe I, I wanted it to work out so bad there that I convinced myself of all these things. I convinced myself, oh, they're probably just going to hunt the edge because of all those things I just described. Oh, the sabotage night probably wasn't as bad as you originally thought because they were just on the UTV. Um, Oh, you know, they'll probably come back through because, yeah, you've been in this general area a couple times, but, you know, nothing ever spooked when they crossed your ground trail. You never once heard a deer blow or saw anything spook. And so I essentially took all these possible and negative things and because I wanted it to work out so much, I, I maybe convinced myself to sit somewhere that I shouldn't have. Yep. Um, yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I mean, maybe it, it could have all worked out and it could have yeah. been great. Um, and I'd be sitting here telling you I was, I was smart. Look at all this great mental gymnastics I did to think through all these scenarios. And I stuck to my guns and that was the right scenario. And here they come. Um, but they didn't. So... That was last night. And after that, after sitting in this spot and having it gone from seeing a lot of deer and three good bucks to now seeing almost no deer, definitely knew it was time to pull the plug on that spot. And um, and that was my my last night in that area. Yep. You had gone to a brand new chunk. I went to another <laughs> another chunk to try to get on some deer and, and uh, hiked way back in there and got into some stuff that was looking good and um, had high hopes for this spot. And very similar to you, nothing going on. I heard some, I got, I literally just got all set up and I wasn't thrilled about my spot. It was very limited in trees, a lot of big, like old cottonwoods down in here. And just, you couldn't get a, you couldn't get your straps around the trees or they were um, split off or they were dead. Or the one tree I wanted to get in was like half eaten by a beaver it's like, ah, I probably shouldn't go up from that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, just one thing after another and in the spot where I thought they'd be coming through um, on this little creek, I, I, it looked like from the maps that you could see trails coming out of there and I got there and there was no trails coming out of there. Um, the water was maybe a little high from some of the rain and some things that has been going on here. Um, but ended up finding a, another secondary little location that I liked. It was in some, just on the edge of some thick stuff. A lot of trails crisscrossing through um, some of this cottonwood. I don't, I don't want to call it a savanna, but like, you know, you got the big cottonwoods and, you know, the grass, you know, the grassy fields below it. And um, so I, I get all set up 
and I hear crash, crash, crash in the thick stuff to my south. I'm like, all right, here we go. This is a good spot. And out pops out like three moose, like a bull and, and two cows. And he's chasing them all around and grunting. And they're just making a racket for like a half hour in there. And then um, they kind of calm down. And then, you know, over to my over to my west, I guess it would have been, here's some, here's some more crashing and, and look over there. Another moose coming out. So I, I ended up seeing six moose at this spot wow. last night. Um, I got to stop getting whitetail tags on these Western trips and just figure out how I could get yeah, a moose no. tag because I've Every been in the moose Every time you go, almost, you're covered up in moose. Gosh, yeah. It, it's cool to see. It, it's a lot of fun to see. You know, it's not something we get to see at home. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they're um, necessarily ideal for having whitetails in the area when you got these big animals bedding in there and moving all around and um, I don't know. I don't know if they push deer out of there, but I didn't see any deer. So that was that night. I mean, more moose, more moose. no deer. Yeah. I, I forgot. I did see a, mo- a cow and a calf. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. I did see a cow and a calf last night. So yeah, we kept on trying new spots and it hadn't panned out. Yeah. Brings not, it to- I was in an area that I could see a pretty good distance and nothing going on around me right and and basically all of these places we've tried to be in we've tried to balance two things we've tried to in most cases get into the cover and close to bedding scout so we know we're close to these concentrations but also place ourselves in places where we can see because again we've got very little intel to work from so we get close get in that concentration point, but with the opportunity to pivot to a next day location based off an observation. So in your case, you had the, you're right up on the edge of that thick stuff to your South, right? Yep. But you can then see a good ways ahead of you. So you can see if they crossed out yep. of anywhere else. Yep. I could see through, there's a little meadow that that Creek ran through and I could see down through there if anything came out, um, which a moose did, but nothing else. And I could see then to my West, a pretty good ways kind of back, um, so I, I had a pretty good vantage point of a, of a pretty wide area from that yeah. spot. And that takes us to this morning, the last hunt covered on this podcast. We decided to hunt the uh, the forest, like the, the mountain forest section where we had gotten those good bucks on trail camera. Um, I slipped up on a ridge back behind you a ways. You had kind of already had this pre-hung spot where that, trail camera was yep. so i didn't want to get encroached in your space there so i swung up and snuck down this ridge and sat down on the corner of it and um the only thing of note for my whole hunt this morning was around seven i don't know seven thirty seven forty five here and i'm like oh my gosh there's actually a deer coming so i'm like knocked on ready and then here comes a hunter and another hunter and they come walking by like 70 yards in front of me and walk past. I'm like, geez, I'll be, I literally, I was sitting on the ground. I literally just laid down on the ground, put my arms up. I'm just like, I give up and I freaking get up. Like, I can't get away from people everywhere I've gone. I've hiked yeah. miles and miles. I've gone in the mountains. I've gone the river bottoms. I've gone, uh, you know, I've, I don't know, just a nap and I'll get away from people. So that was a, another interesting moment. And then eventually I walked over back to your spot to get you and, uh, You'd yep. had a more interesting day. A little bit more interesting. I, I had the same experience earlier than you. Those same two hunters came walking by me about 7, 7.15, something like that. Um, so 45, I mean, what was that? 
half hour, 45 minutes after shooting light, they yeah. come walking through. And uh, I saw them go up then. I knew they were going to probably head towards you. They started looping around towards you. So, you know, I was feeling the same thing. I just sitting in my saddle. I was like, ugh, again, like, geez, like we just, you know, can't catch a break. And I'm sitting there and I'm sulking and I look over and onto the other side of this canyon and I see a deer walking up the, the steep hill of this canyon, kind of side hilling it up. And um throw my binos up and it's one of those bucks, one of those nice bucks we had on trail camera. He's he I think what happened is I think he probably was on our side. And I think that I don't know if they got spooked or maybe just bumped out of where they were at or, or off their course uh, of travel by those other hunters. And I think they dropped down the creek and then back up the other side just based on the angle of their of their movement. And then behind him was another one of the, the nice bucks that we had on trail camera. And they went into the thick stuff up on top of this other canyon. Um, so that was basically the end. I mean, that, that happened around 7.30-ish and sat for another hour, hour and a half and, and didn't see anything um, to note other than that. But at least gives me a little bit of hope tonight that I, I could potentially set up on on them maybe coming back down across the creek. I don't know. I mean, at this point, it's a, we're swinging for the fences here with whatever we can do, but um, at least make an educated guess on, on what I think they're going to do and, and see what happens. Yeah, so tonight is our very last hunt of the trip. Yep. We got to take off tomorrow morning. So you're going to go set up on the creek? Yep, I think so. I think that's what I'm going to do and just um, see what happens. I think that I am going to bail on the sabotage spot and go back to the very first area we hunted. The last three times we've driven back there, we have to drive by the original spot to get to the sabotage spot. And there have not been hunter trucks there. So I'm hoping that there's not been as much pressure back there as was, as there was earlier in our trip. That's my hope. And my idea is to, I'm still going to push in there really far. I'm still going to push in at least a mile and a half. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go walk the closed road, walk past that whole area you were hunting, walk past the first couple places I hunted past the creek crossing stuff and actually hunt a chunk that I noticed on my death march day, the night when I ran into the serial killer. Um, as I was hiking in there on the way in, I found this spot that is, it just looks like a bunch of deer movement all funneled into this, this small, um, opening of sorts in the middle of a ton of thick, nasty Russian olive and, and cottonwood stuff. There's last time there was like walls of this stuff that you can't cross through all. And what I've noticed in a lot of these Western States, this river bottom stuff is when you get these little openings in there, the deer naturally gravitate towards them where they can get an easy travel path into, you know, towards wherever they want to go. And so it's still very thick. I mean, you're, it's, it's a jungle in there, but inside the jungle, there's a small highway kind yep. of. And this small highway from Google Maps, you can literally see a bunch of trails coming in in the dirt, all coming into that and then heading right towards that alfalfa field to the east corner of that alfalfa field that you watched the first night where you saw a bunch of deer coming. And essentially, what I'm hoping this is, is I'm hoping this is, 
you know, it's going to be, it's not the very end of the funnel because the very end of the funnel is on private land by the alfalfa fields, but I'm hoping it's going to be midway up a funnel of deer movement where they're coming from all these different places and they're, they're filtering down towards the food. And my hope is that this thing's way back in the cover. Um, but in a little bit of a funnel of sorts that I'm, that I'm banking on with the colder weather with hopefully no one being crazy enough to push that far back in with hopefully, um, hopefully my guess about the deer movement and based off the sign I saw when I walked in, there's all right. Hopefully something's going to move through there. And, um, I think it has the highest number of potential target deer based on what what you saw that first night and what we've seen. Um, and my, you know, my standards are, you know, I'm not waiting out for two big giants anymore. I'm willing to, um, take a crack at a nice buck and that's, I think the best opportunity to do that. So that's what I'm going to do. I wish that I was like sitting the kill set based off of an observation from the night before, or wish I was in a spot where I'm like, Oh yeah, it's going to absolutely happen. But unfortunately, every time we start zeroing in on something, it's been blown up and, um, that's just the cards we've been dealt. Yep. And I guess my takeaway from this whole thing, if I'm looking at what can I learn from this or what can other people learn from this, it's 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 just the same thing we've said over and over again. The fact that you need a lot of backup plans when you're planning a public land deer hunt like this. You need to go into it being like this is another thing we talked about last week. Like think positive, believe in yourself, believe in it, but also have plans for the worst, yeah. prepare for the worst. And and we kind of did that. Um we had a lot of different places. So we've been able to keep on going to new spots. I just wish that I had scouted even more. And so I, so I knew these places like the back of my hand. I don't know them by the back of my hand. So we're learning it all new as we go. And that's inevitably tough to do when you're learning and dealing with new hunters coming in from every direction all the time. Um, so it's been a challenge. It's forced me to probably hunt harder in like a eight day period than I ever have as far as like, just like hanging and resetting and resetting and hiking like long hikes, like, lots of long yeah. hikes in and out um yeah we're definitely gonna have our setup dialed in for uh michigan season though yeah <laughs> setting up it's gonna feel like it's gonna feel like a piece of cake gosh, now. we've been doing that nonstop. Mm-hmm. so so you know that's how it goes sometimes we've got one more hunt maybe we'll have that last minute magic and we'll be able to celebrate or maybe we're gonna go home with no tags filled um it, like i'm torn on this one i'm like very ear, very frustrated and upset with it because I really thought we would be able to get it done. I was really confident coming into it. We had a little more time than I usually do on these hunts. So I just, I, I couldn't imagine a scenario where we'd come home without failing any tags. Everything, everything seemed to be lining up mm-hmm. pretty well for us. And, um, and then just everything went wrong. And what I've, what I've tried to do is like over the last day, as I'm like mentally processing all this is, is also remember that when it comes to trips like this, it, it all hunting is like this, but especially trips like this, you need to be able to take satisfaction out of the whole experience. Because if you're so dead set on just killing a deer on something like this, like the odds are, are stacked against you when you travel 2000 miles from home to a brand new place uh, that's hunted by dozens of other people, apparently. Um, the odds are stacked against you. Sure. And if we can only derive enjoyment out of killing a deer in that situation, well, then we we probably should have known that we were setting ourselves up for a potential failure. Um, so I think when I look at it, I'm not upset that we fished a few times. I'm not upset that we, you know, 
came out here and saw some beautiful country and we saw some nice bucks and we saw a lot of deer and we saw some moose and we got to, you know, explore new places and it's, it's, uh, and it's public. It's like here for us. Like how crazy is that, that we got to go to this stuff that we don't own and got to enjoy this beautiful, beautiful country and critters and things. And we got to do it for basically for free. Um, you can't complain about that. Yeah, no, it's it's been a great trip, regardless of if we um, if we fill a tag tonight or not. You know, I, I've been doing some of the same thing, thinking, and um, you know, I, I think one of the things that I'm proud of us for is that we have adjusted so much. We've stayed positive. Like, I don't know. There's probably a time in the past where I would have been like, "Screw this, let's go home." Mm-hmm. You know, I miss my family. I miss home. I got stuff to do. Let's bail on this a couple yeah. days early, or that storm's rolling in, let's get out. You know, yeah. I think there's just, there's things that we could have, you know, we could have packed it up and went home and, and we didn't, we kept, you know, charging away at it and, and scra- being scrappy and trying to find new spots and new deer to hunt and get away from people. And, you know, it didn't, didn't always go in our favor, but you know, I, I think, uh, I think we definitely gave it a, a hell of a shot. Yeah. We gave her hell. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, there's our sob story. I hope there was something in there um, that's either reassuring to you or comforting to you because you've had the same thing happen or maybe can help you adapt and uh, put together a plan for your upcoming hunt. Um, learn from our mistakes, learn from our takeaways, um, set yourself up for a hunt so that you enjoy it and have a successful hunt regardless of if you fill your tag and, uh, and get out there. Above all, get out there and enjoy these places. I don't want to scare you away from going out and trying an out-of-state hunt or trying a public land deer hunt. Things happen. It can be tough. At the same time, you could also have a hunt of a lifetime. You just never know what you're going to get, and that's kind of what makes this thing so special. If it was guaranteed, what fun's that? I know. I yeah. I mean, it, it's been a heck of a heck of a time, uh, regardless of of what happens um, tonight. I'm I I do it all again for sure. All right, man. Well, I think we should shut it down, wrap this podcast up, and you and me need to go out and have one last great hunt. Fingers crossed. Fingers See what crossed. happens. Okay, what's uh, what kind of probability would you put on your <laughs> odds of success tonight, Josh? Well, let's, let's go. To, let's go to the flip side. I, I'm I'm saying about one percent. One percent. Yeah, I don't have super high hopes, but there's deer. There's a couple deer that I saw this morning, and I know where. I think I know where they're going, and just a matter if they'll they'll come back down the canyon and cross the creek again i i, I figure if i go super low percentage maybe it'll happen I don't know. there you go i'm going with uh 20 percent for my hunt tonight i'll bump mine up to five percent <laughs> <laughs> all right so there you guys go we're very excited and feeling optimistic about tonight's hunt <laughs> tune in next week for the exciting conclusion and uh until then thank you all for listening good luck on your hunts if you're out there Enjoy it, have fun, adapt, adjust, persevere. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved 
via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 